everyone. Today we're reading from the book of Genesis for the second Sunday of Lent. Our Lenten journey through the Old Testament text will focus on the way God is moving all creation to new creation and inviting us to participate. I'm Alicia McClintic. And I'm Megan Cardio. And this is the A Plain Account Podcast. the scripture today from the book of Genesis. I'll be reading from the Common English Bible, Genesis 15, 1 through 12, picking up at 17 through 18. Hear now the word of the Lord. After these events, the Lord's word came to Abram in a vision. Don't be afraid, Abram. I am your protector. Your reward will be very great. But Abram said, Lord God, what can you possibly give me since I have no children? The head of my household is Eliezer, a man from Damascus. He continued, since you haven't given me any children, the head of my household will be my heir. The Lord's word came immediately to him. This man will not be your heir. Your heir will definitely be your very own biological child. Then he brought Abram outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if you think you can count them. He continued, This is how many children you will have. Abram trusted the Lord, and the Lord recognized Abram's high moral character. He said to Abram, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. But Abram said, Lord God, how do I know that I will actually possess it? He said, bring me a three-year-old female calf and a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a dove, and a young pigeon. He took all of these animals, split them in half, and laid the halves facing each other but he didn't split the birds. When vultures swooped down on the carcasses, Abram waved them off. After the sunset, Abram slept deeply. A terrifying and deep darkness settled over him. After the sun had set and the darkness had deepened, a smoking vessel with a fiery flame passed between the split open animals. That day, the Lord cut a covenant with Abram To your descendants, I give this land from Egypt's river to the great Euphrates. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to to God. God. Wow, Megan, this is... um an important scripture in the narrative arc of the Old Testament, but it is a weird one. (laughs) It is. (laughs) And I just think it's fair to to start there. Like, this whole cutting a covenant situation is weird. It's like, it's strange. It's foreign. It's full of these like, like ancient um, practices that center around blood and life and death and it feels a little weird to read from the pulpit on Sunday. For <laughs> I'm sure. just going to say. The animals, the birds. I'm like, this dude's quite a hunter. 
you know, <laughs> I, know I know where they, where they, get where are they coming things? where are they coming from yeah I have no idea yeah um so I I just think like like name it <laughs> put it out there and say like okay I I know it's a little bit strange but we also believe that we believe what we say, that this is the word of the Lord. Um, it's given to us in love and we offer gratitude for this inspiration and revelation that's gifted to us, even when the text is weird. Right. Um, so I think like that's, that's helpful to kind of just begin with to say, this is imagery that's foreign to us and it requires some context and some explanation and some untangling, but ultimately we believe that it is a gift for us. Um, And so we lean in to listen to what God might be saying to us today. I mean, the other thing that we really notice here is that it's like a deeply earthy passage, like we've been talking about in the Mm -hmm. season of Lent, right? That there's like, like it's just so rooted to... um, land, animals. Um, and now we have the inclusion of the stars as well. It's just like a very, uh, it's, it's a very natural setting, right? Like, like very deeply connected to the natural world. Right. I mean, it strikes me that for, you know, God brings Abram outside, like come like the, the lines, we actually just have the narrative line. Then he brought Abram outside and said, but this idea of like, I imagine like the Lord, like um, taking Abram's hand and like, like come outside with me and then using like the very beauty and majesty of, of the, of the earth, of the cosmos to, you know, to offer this, this promise to Abram. And there's something that's clearly spiritually compelling to Abram mm-hmm. because after the Lord offers this imagery, take a look at the stars at the cosmos, at, um, at, at the beauty and the multitude of the stars above you. This is what I'm promising, says the Lord. And it says uh, that Abram believed the Lord. Abram trusted God. Um, and I I like the CEB's um, translation there that, that God recognizes Abram's like high moral character. Yeah. Moral what, does, fiber. what does your translation say? I'm reading NIV today and it says Abram believed the Lord and the Lord credited it to him as, as righteousness. righteousness. Yeah. Yeah. Right, which is which is a really interesting word here to do some like exegetical word study. Righteousness means um covenant faithfulness. I think is is a maybe more faithful um transliteration here and and this this becomes a really important uh a touchstone for somebody like Paul writing in the New Testament mm-hmm. think about Romans um also uh, uh the book of Hebrews and some of these other like important New Testament epistles that are um re reframing and reinterpreting the Torah and the Old Testament um scriptures in light of who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing. Um, But this idea of trusting and believing and it being credited as righteousness or covenant faithfulness. Um, And that when, when we talk about the righteousness of God, we're really talking about God's faithfulness to God's own word, about God's faithfulness to God's covenant, that God is who God says that God is, and God will do what God says God will do. Um, And, and I think that's maybe maybe one of the theological things to highlight about this pretty gruesome moment where like animals are cut in half and 
placed on either side of a path. Like this is, this is where the phrase cutting of a covenant comes from. Um, that it's, it's a, it's an embodied practice of an oath. May this be done to me if I go back on my word. Um, if I, if I betray my own word, may I also be betrayed. Um, it's, it's a, it's a way of saying like, I will do what I say I will do. And Mm. what's really, what's really fascinating here is that God takes on the covenant responsibility, like, like with this, with this image of, um, of the, of the fire or like the kind of the, the coals kind of passing through, um, through this pathway. Uh, this is, this is the, the Lord's doing that the Lord has initiated a covenant with Abram. Um, and the Lord has taken on the responsibility to do it. And God cannot betray God's self. God cannot go back on God's word that, that, um, that God will be faithful to this covenant, even when the people are unfaithful. Um, and, and that's a really like, I think important image to notice here in, in all of its strangeness. Um, it's really pointing us to God's ultimate faithfulness, God's righteousness, um, God's singularity in keeping God's word. Well, Alicia, I want to make sure that I understand what you're saying. Cause I think you're onto something super compelling. You're saying that God is the one taking ownership of the covenant. Yeah. Meaning that this like, let it be done to me as is done to these animals is like, let mm-hmm. it be done to me, God, not me, yes. Abram. Correct. Which this is, I mean, I don't think preachers, I don't think if we can underestimate this um, in the theological uh, imaginations of our people, especially if you have like a lot of... Um, folks in your congregation who are evangelical or formed in evangelical circles, there's a whole lot of weight in evangelicalism on personal responsibility and like personal Mm -hmm. moralism. Actually, in this phrase even that's, you know, that the CEB says, um, the Lord recognized Abram's high moral character. This is like the goal (laughs) of like so much of like my, you know, like, like, this is just a, it's funny. It's laughable because it, in my like evangelical upbringing, like the, you know, can I be a person of high moral character? Like this is a very oh, individualistic yeah. kind of goal, right? So I say all that to say that if you are pastoring people who have in their theological vision of the world, this very individualistic high moral character kind of um, imagination around the covenant mm-hmm. that this feels like a super important shift yeah, because it's actually not about Abram, despite the fact that he has high moral character. This is a promise that God is making. Yes, exactly. This is a promise that God is making. God has been the initiator in all of it, that God is the one who called Abram and called Abram out of his homeland, out from his original family structure and has like sent Abram into a new life and a new reality and a new homeland, right? Like God is the one who's initiated all of that. Um, And and God is the one who has offered Abram a promise and has taken on the responsibility of making it so. Um, and I think like if we can zoom out a little bit to the beginning of Genesis and the beginning of creation, God has created a good and beautiful world that is um, 
full of abundance and uh and and where God dwells peacefully and in a thriving relationship with all of God's creation. And then there's a problem. Sin and death uh, puts a wedge in in um, this good and beautiful creation, but God is not giving up on God's good and beautiful work, that God is committed to um, a thriving, beautiful creation where God can dwell with God's people in, in a meaningful way. Um, and that means dealing with the sin and death problem. And the way that God is doing that is by identifying first a person, right? Abram, then a family, then a people, and then like a whole expanded multi-ethnic family, um, through whom God can be an instrument in the world, moving all creation to new creation, right? That this is this is God's like ultimate mission in the world. Um, and again, I, I think it's like, it's impossible to overstate that God is the prime mover. God is the initiator. God is the one who holds this responsibility. That does not mean that we covenant participants now don't also have responsibility. Um, right, right. But, but that it is, but it is, it is God who is on the move. It is God who is at work. I love that. That feels really, I mean, that feels really important and like a, a really significant shift from often the, the way that the burden is placed on individuals. Like this is, this is about a promise of God. Yeah. And so let's talk about like the individual response here. Like like we're given just a few details about Abram. One is that he has listened to the Lord, right? That the Lord has offered an invitation and Abraham has taken him up on it. Um, That the the Lord has called Abram out from Ur of the Chaldeans. Um, And Abram said, yes. Abram said like, yes, I will go. I will follow. Um, the, the scriptures say that Abram trusted the Lord, Abram believed in the Lord, um, that that there is there is like a trustingness. Um, and again, it is like a, a, a funny phrase to me. I don't know why it's landing so humorously for me, but like his high moral character right. is recognized, right? So, so there is some like participatory aspects that we learn from Abram, but mostly I think I, I want to highlight this, this trust is not without questions, right? There, that there, there is significant dialogue here, right? Mm-hmm. That even though Abram has like agreed to go with the Lord into um, an unknown land and for an unknown mission without seeing any of these promises come to fruition yet, um, he is doing it. He is, he is uh, like trusting step by step, day by day. Um, but he still does have questions, right? He's like, listen, I'm going to have to hand over my whole household to a servant because you haven't followed through on your promise of right, a child. I, right. don't, I don't yet have an heir. So there is this, this back and forth sort of dialogue. And then later on, um, Abram says, Lord, how can I know that I will truly gain possession of what it is you're promising me? And we know that that's not a question that comes from doubt because literally the scriptures had just said that Abram believes and trusts God. So I'm curious about like, like what that, what that question really is, this, this desire for clarity or for some kind of like assurance or, um, some kind of glimmer of hope, like show me, show me a taste of what you're promising Lord so that like I can, 
continue to trust and be faithful. Um, I don't know. What do you think about that, Megan? How about this like question? Holding these- how do I know? Yeah, it, like how do I know? Also coupled with the with the line that Abraham believed and trust God, right? Like so, yeah. Any any thoughts about like that kind of tension there? Well, or, or I want to. Or go ahead. <laughs> I just I'm thinking I'm I'm trying to articulate the place of questioning and dialogue in the life of faith and trust. Yeah. Right? I mean, I would. I mean, just do it. Just question God. Like that, you know, that's not a very robust answer. I I actually, uh, I think it, it seems that God is un, unbothered by our questions, I guess is what I would say mm-hmm. in the life of faith. But also to just muddy the waters further, I'm really struck yeah. by the times that, that God is aware of the fear that Abram mm. carries, whether it's fear, trepidation, um, you know, angst or the very real, like maybe the fear comes from the very real things that Abram's pushing back on, right? Like I don't have heirs, mm-hmm. God. So, but we have at the very beginning of this chapter, the first words that the Lord says, do not be afraid. Mm. And then uh, we actually find Abram is afraid So, you know, the Mm -hmm. do not be afraid is not like there's nothing to be afraid of. Mm -hmm. God knows that Abraham's going to be afraid, whether that's the because the word that he's about to hear in the vision. Um, But later, after the vultures swoop down on the carcasses and Abram waves them off, he sleeps deeply. And it says a terrifying and deep darkness settled Mm. over him. So I think that even, I think that, you know, the tension between like his faithfulness, his questioning and fear, um, he's, I mean, he's a pretty relatable human right now. Yeah. Even if the animal cutting is completely unrelatable (laughs) for me. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah, it, it is. It's, he's a completely relatable human in this space of, of eking out of a faithful response mm, um, mm-hmm. that that is is not without questions, is not without fear, and it is not without darkness. Um, I'm I'm thinking of Mary right now, uh, which me too. Really, uh, just let it be with me according to your word. Like, yeah, uh, I'll spare the story, but in preaching class, we'll ask students like, "How did she say it? Like, let it be, mm-hmm. let it, let it be with me." according to your word or is it like totally loaded with trepidation as as would be reasonable right let it be right. with me according to your <laughs> word like i so you know so again uh think uh prepare thoughtfully your reading of scripture here um but i think i'm just kind of sensing this anal- like analogous nature to mary's yes to the spirit and yes to the mm-hmm. to the pregnancy yes to carrying christ while not undermining like her agency. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that uh, I was thinking about Mary as well because her yes to God is not without questions, right? right. She says like how like how can this be? Like I'm I have I have questions about all of this, Lord. And again, the Lord does not seem bothered by her questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I think I think that's a that's a good word. 
Um, there, there are some things that we're really like clearly coming to understand about who God is and how God acts as we remember that God is the initiator of this relationship. God is the initiator of this covenant and holds its responsibility. Um, and that God in, for some mysterious way that I can't always articulate, God seems like unwilling to do this work without us, um, without participation. And so therefore seems unbothered by questions, comments, fear. Um, yeah, I, I, I want to return to that image of, of the terrifying and deep darkness. I have the NIV and they say thick and dreadful darkness. Um, either way, not something I personally want to enter willingly. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but it feels like a, like a deeply Lenten, moment like a like a very clear lenten invitation um to surrender to this to this darkness that is the the catalyst for change or growth or yeah I, I don't i don't know how that's landing with you Megan in this season of lent but it just feels appropriate to me in some ways well it's actually the first line that I I have a practice of printing out my scripture and, you know, marking it up. And the first time I read it, I often don't mark anything. It's the only thing I underlined on my first reading. And the note I wrote is um, just the how the way in which that simple line, like a terrifying and deep, deep darkness settled over him. That feels very congruent with my experience of sitting with living in our environmental crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a terrifying and deep darkness. And we, one of the reasons we're like talking about this um, and putting our focus here in land and theology is because <laughs> it seems that there's a whole lot more people of faith who could join us in this terrifying and deep darkness. And and I know mm. that there's resistance to sitting there, but I, I think that that's part of where we need to sit. Um, and that's why Lent is such an appropriate season. Um, you know, Kate Bowler says, Lent, the saddest time in the Christian year. You know, and I, I think that's like really fitting when we're sitting with the crises around us um, to, to, to feel the fear and the, mm. the depth of, of the challenge. Um, before us because that those are the places we have to sit in order to become this like participant like you've said right um mm. and and even to sit in the who knows um yeah yeah i i think that's really really powerful i think the the other images that were coming up for me reading that line and sitting with that imagery is um is the way that like deep darkness is part of like the life cycle of the created world, right? Like, like mm. we plant seeds that, that are, that are in deep darkness mm-hmm. bef- before they germinate and sprout or um, our, our passage today mentions the stars, right? Like stars are born in deep darkness, yeah. right? That like, uh, like, and, and stars, um, stars die and then that matter is like re re um 
recycled, reused in the in the rest of the cosmos. That there that there's so much generative work that is happening in deep darkness. Um, when we think about like the the cycle of the land and the way that creation um, moves through winters and deaths um, before there is there is a spring and a renewal. Um, yeah, and I, I, I think I'm hearing the invitation to continue to lean in to that deep and dreadful darkness, trusting that like God is the one who is working out new creation. Right, and that God is the one who like keeps the covenant, right? Yeah. Um, I'm also thinking about the Lenten connection just to where we'll go as we close Lent in Good mm-hmm. Friday and Holy Saturday that um, I think this invitation to the in-between, <laughs> sleep is often kind mm. of an in-between, right? Um, right. And, you know, to not to not rush to Easter morning so quickly that we miss the chance to be in, in the solidarity of, of this kind of moment of, of pain, darkness, lament. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. I think the the last thing that really was sticking with me from this passage that I think is worth mentioning is like how many times children, heir, offspring, descendants is mentioned. Um, and I, I think it's really worth noting that Abram doesn't see this promise come true for himself. Um, and even his, his descendants, it's, it's a long time before it's like several hundred years before they they see the like the full culmination of this promise that that God offers to them and so I just have I just have a lot of questions about like how we're responding to the deep and dreadful darkness of our day in light of our descendants right like are we are we um cultivating a faith and a practice uh, that leaves an inheritance for several generations, Mm -hmm. right? Like what sort of, like what sort of earth are our children inheriting? What sort of earth are their children inheriting? And on and on it goes, right? Like, are we doing the faithful work in the meantime um, so that we could participate in this, in this movement that God invites us to, right? That that there is an inheritance, um, um, a, a beautiful possession given to descendants and offspring. I I'm love not sure that. I have like anything more to say about that. It's just like really resonating with me, you know? Well, let's come back to that after the break because I feel like that's a place where a sermon could really find some traction. Definitely. I'm very excited to come back with some more application questions after the break. But for now, let's take a moment to offer a prayer. As we're recording this, uh, there there are friends of mine, um, fellow pastors on the ground in Ukraine who are um, responding to the conflict and unfolding crisis there, um, being people of peace, offering hope helping people uh, travel as best they can to find places of safety. And I'm reminded of Abram and this journey that he is taking um, from one homeland into the unknown in the cover of deep and dreadful darkness. And with that in mind, I offer this prayer. 
Our God, you have given us in your word the stories of persons who needed to leave their homelands. Abraham, Sarah, Ruth, Moses. Help us to remember that when we speak of immigrants and refugees, we speak of Christ and the one who had no place to lay his head and in the least of his brothers and sisters. You come to us again, a stranger seeking refuge. We confess that we often turn away and you have chosen that the life of Jesus be filled with events of unplanned travel and flight from enemies. You have shown us through the modeling of Jesus how we are called to relate to persons from different nations and cultures. You have called us to be teachers of your word. We ask you, our God, to open our minds and hearts to the challenge and invitation to model your perfect example of love. Amen. back, Alicia, let's talk about moving from text to sermon. Are there different sermon ideas or talking points that are sitting with you right now? How do you want to preach this scripture from Genesis 15, this uh, this peculiar story of covenant that's so important for the rest of the whole of scripture? Oh, yes. I think I think really, especially in the season of Lent, I, I want to keep focusing on this like invitation to trust God and follow God through the darkness, through the wilderness, through the wandering, um, through the uncertainty. Uh, I think I think that's like a really significant motif in our in our Lenten season year after year after year. Um, but, but in particular from, from this passage, I think one of the things that's, that's really, uh, landing with me is that like God is moving through it as well, right? Like that God is the one who is passing through this like line of carcasses to take on the responsibility of the covenant. And, and yes, there is, um, fear and trepidation and uncertainty for us as we follow and, and trust the Lord. Um, but that the Lord is on the move as well, that the Lord is moving through all of these, all of these places and all of these moments that the, that that the Lord is on the move, um, moving all creation to new creation. And so that while we're passing through places that are full of fear, darkness, trembling, trepidation, uncertainty, wilderness, um, that, that we, that we are following the one who knows where we're going. I I think those are some things that I want to land on. I love that. It feels really important, um, to, like I think we've said this before, but right, joining the work that God is already doing. Um, I love how you said like God is on the move. Yeah. Yes. Like like Abram's the one who's identified as the wanderer here, but God is also on the move. Um, and I think I think holding those things together helps us helps us keep leaning in to this cycle of faith, dialogue, following, um, just the the life that God has called us into. Well, and this might be an, an, a very subtle way to make a move towards the life yeah. of Christ here. It could be done in just a few sentences. I mean, that this is that the the God who is on the move here alongside Abram and the wandering is the same God who's going to choose a life of movement. Yeah. Right. Um, well, both who begins who begins his life really um, as a, a political refugee but then later will um right choose a life of ministry that has him mm-hmm. on the move 
right? Um, not settled in one place, um, not caring. I mean, the disciples are sent out. So I assume this is the case right. for Jesus as well, you know, without an extra coat and lunch money. So, you know, that might just be a, a small way to connect. Like, wait, this is like the life that um, Jesus is on the move as well as we follow him towards the cross. And even though that's not the specific like way that we're moving through Lent this year in our preaching, um, it doesn't mean that those connections can't be there or even at other points in the liturgy. Right. Yes. And I think this is um, similarly like a, a helpful way for for us to, to say that um, – the, the Lord is making this promise to Abram, not to us as individuals, but we can, we can enter into our like covenant relationship with the Lord, um, trusting that God will do what God says God will do like Abram does here. I, I guess like I'm, I'm sifting through the ways that as a preacher, I want people to understand that this covenant promise isn't for, um, you very particular 21st century Americans on this one street corner, right? That, that the covenant promise God is making is, um, is historical and rooted in, in this particular people at this particular time. And yet there are ways that we can continue to respond to God's great mission in the world, trusting that God's covenant is, um, is reliable and trustworthy and that God is, is doing something, cosmically like in this move of all creation to new creation and we're invited to participate in in hope and trust and obedience I don't know if that's making any sense but yeah oh for sure for sure Alicia I want to come back to what you had said um, earlier just this question as we you know, want to offer really concrete entry points for environmental yeah. issues of justice in our conversation. You had mentioned this idea of heirs. Yeah. And I think that this is a really interesting question that there's a lot of room for here, both, as you said, in that Abram is not going to see the full fulfillment of all these generations mm-hmm. of people, um, of even the way that the people of Israel are going to live on this on land. But um, he's, of course, has to be then very concerned about like what kind of place he is leaving, what kind of people his people are going to be. Right. Yeah. And what sort of like inheritance he is able to to leave to his children and then their children and their children after like up to um, generations and generations. And and it seem it seems to me that this is part of Abram's responsibility in the covenant um, to trust that like that God will bring these promises to fruition in God's own time. And what then do we do in the waiting? We do the best we can with what we have to be attentive, to be faithful, to be obedient, to hold on to hope um, and resilience. But we also like our, our faithful careful stewards of the resources available to us. And, and, um, I, I guess like I, I, I want to keep being rooted in, in our passage in the text here that if the promise it is that this 
family, this growing tribe, will inherit a land. How are they stewarding the land in the meantime so that when it is time for them to possess it in its in in their fullness or in the fullness of time that they have that they have done the work in the meantime to receive it and to hold it and to truly possess it I don't I don't know if that's making sense yes right? for sure well I don't think we, we can underestimate here the difference in how this ancient culture uh this ancient people, considered time Mm -hmm. versus how, like, by contrast, how we um, think about time. And, and I mean, to just be like, to, to then take, and and that was a very Mm -hmm. abstract idea, but to make that super concrete, okay, you're talking about care of land, like, you know, (laughs) my, to, to think of my care of this piece of land that I live on as longer term than my residence in this ad- at right, this address, yes. right, is like actually really different way of thinking. I mean, we live in such a temporal society that's like moves all the time and is obsessed with convenience. I mean, like they're, Abraham and Sarah weren't like putting their dinner in the mm-hmm. microwave. <laughs> So the way that they lived on the, you know, they, they, the way that they lived on the land was just so fundamentally different from the way that we live today, that really like this idea of care and inheritance could be such a specific, um, specific path you could take in your sermon to explore, like, how is it that we're thinking about the next generation as it comes to like the earth, to our environmental crises, to climate change? Um, and, and my guess is that part of the reason we are where we are, I guess this is less of a guess, more of an opinion is right. Because we Mm -hmm. haven't had a vision beyond like, um, the present moment or beyond increased, um, ease Mm -hmm. or beyond convenience, um, beyond a, a narrative of more. So really there's, there's a lot of space here to explore in a sermon, some of these differences and some of the ways that we can be thinking about um, inheritance and and children and generations in a way that's really countercultural. Yeah, definitely. And I, I, I'm, yeah, I think about the, the way that, um, that Abram is waiting with readiness to receive this promise. Like I, I'm not sure how much he, he knows or understands I, like I'm not trying to like psychoanalyze Abram in this passage but I I'm trying to say that I'm not sure how much he understands about God's timing and when this promise will come to fulfillment for him but I but I imagine that he's he's training in the meantime to be like a faithful steward and possessor of the land that God is promising right and and cultivating mm-hmm. those those um those practices and those skills which he is then teaching to his children who teach to their children right that the, that there's this yeah that there's this active participation i guess i'm trying to say in in the waiting for god's like full promises to be like um received and and so I'm mm-hmm. I'm wondering what that means what what that means for us as we as we think about stewarding the land that God has given to us like that are we are we cultivating the long view are we genuinely believing that God is up to something good 
for our children and their children and their children's children and on for generations? And are we, and are we living that way now? Or are we using up all the resources we can as fast as we can for our own convenience? Um, and, right. and I think that, that that's like a really, that's like, this is a place where, where the, the biblical mindset can really um, offer us a countercultural way to live, I think. Absolutely. You know, Alicia, the, the last thing I'll say here is just some more on this difference between like the, the land that Abram will possess, that he'll receive as a gift and inheritance versus like dominate right. or own. And I'll just point our listeners to our episode for last week. If you didn't listen to it, um, we talk a lot about land possession in our episode on the first enablement Deuteronomy. Um, or if last week you went a different direction in your sermon with Deuteronomy, there's plenty of traction here in the language as well to explore land possession and and just the way that the gift or the way that the promise is given mm-hmm. to Abram, the way that the covenant centers in this really particular way of occupying land, um, not as a dominator, but as a tender mm-hmm. or someone who tends, excuse me, um, you know, not as an owner, but someone who, um, you know, who's possessing for a yeah. time. So I would just point listeners back to our episode last week um, as another sermon, another place that your sermon could really do some important work around environmental justice. Yeah, I love that. I love that. They, like that's really a theme that we could like reiterate every week. And so just like helpful to remember that we'll be kind of coming back to that touchstone. I think really the the last thing that's sticking with me, Megan, is this in this invitation that you pointed us to earlier in our episode today that the Lord invites Abram outside. He said he took Abram outside, like come outside. Um and I'm and I'm yes. sitting sitting with that um with that invitation. Like how can I keep offering that invitation to my own people, right? To like speak the words of the Lord to, to God's people and say, come outside, like contemplate the stars, um, admire the beauty of God's creation. Find yourself, as Mary Oliver says, find your place in the family of things, like in this, in this created order. Um, yeah. And so I like, I'm not entirely sure like how I'm, how I'm working that into like a preaching moment, but this is like an invitation that I feel like the Lord is offering, like come outside, come and see. For sure. And how much easier is it to be uh, in tune with the earth and care about it if you're right. outdoors? Like it's just, it actually matters Yeah, for this kind of uh, life that we're invited into. Yeah. I, I, I am compelled by the way that 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 the Lord keeps speaking to Abram through this encounter with the cosmos, with with creation, um, and so inviting our people to continue to encounter the Lord through the Lord's beautiful creation feels like a like a an important response. Amen. Well, I think that's all the time that we have for today. We covered all sorts of, of um, theology and praxis 
here in our discussion, and we'd love to hear how all of our listeners are bringing the text to your people this week. We invite you all to check out the website for more written commentaries for the scriptures this week and to sign up for our newsletter to stay in the know. You can connect with us on social media for further conversation and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review and share with your friends. That really helps us get the word out. We're really grateful for for that engagement. Special thanks to all the writers who contributed this week and to Matt Ghost for our original music, editing, and production. Join us next week as we continue our journey through the Old Testament text of Lent and dive into Isaiah. See you then.